Likutei Sicha is Chelek Yudzayin, Volume 17, the second Sicha for Parshas Emer. This is a Rashi Sicha, which discusses a very fundamental mitzvah of Chodosh. Chodosh, that is, uh, the prohibition of eating from the new harvest until such time that it's offered as an offering in the Beis HaMikdosh, or in our days until the 16th of Nisan passes. And this is a discussion of whether this mitzvah applies in Chutz Oretz, in outside of Eretz Yisrael, or exclusively only in Eretz Yisrael. This Rashi Sicha is not a difficult one, but it doesn't just deal with the common Rashi Sicha style, Pshutay Shomikra, just exclusively the Pshat, the simple basic meaning of the Pasuk. Rather, it also gives us a glimpse, I would call it behind the scenes, into the spiritual and psychological ramifications of the explanation of Rashi. Just as an introduction, so we have a better appreciation of the Sicha, it's worth mentioning that there are two types of mitzvahs. There are mitzvahs fall into different types of categories. There are certain mitzvahs that typically are what's called choivas haguf. They are a bodily obligation. That means they apply to the person, not to a place, not to a thing. Then there are mitzvahs that are choivas hakarka or choivas haoretz. They are an obligation, a land obligation, means they're exclusive, let's say, for example, to Eretz Yisrael, or to a certain place, or to a certain thing. And depending on the type of mitzvah it is, you know, depending on that, is also the results, the outcome of when does that mitzvah applies, where it applies to, and so on. Basic example is, you have a mitzvah which is choivas haguf, if it's a bodily obligation, then obviously it applies to every single Jew in all places, whether the Jew is in Australia or in Eretz Yisrael. However, if it's a choivas hakarka, if it's an obligation that is exclusive or that applies to a certain type of land, typically the land of Eretz Yisrael, then obviously anywhere outside of Eretz Yisrael, this mitzvah would not apply. For example, the mitzvah of Shemitah, the sabbatical year, that applies exclusively to Eretz Yisrael. Let's begin. This sikh is on the Rashi, which is on chapter 23, verse 14. The Pasuk tells us about the mitzvah of Chadash, and it tells us, You should not eat anything, any type, in any which way, from the new harvest, whether it's bread, whether it's just roasted grains, or whatever it may be, until this day, until you offer the carbon of Hashem from the new harvest, this should be an everlasting statue for all your generations, in all your settlements, in all your dwelling places. So Rashi, in the heading, in the Dibra Mathkel, quotes the words, quote, in all your settlements, and he says the following, in this, there is a debate, there's a dispute amongst the Jewish sages, or literally the Chachm Yisrael, the wise men of the Jews. Yeshalamdu, he says, number one, there are those who learned from here that Chadash applies only, this mitzvah applies only and exclusively, I'm sorry, that this mitzvah applies both in Chutzla Aretz and in Eretz Yisrael, 
because it says in all your dwelling places. That means wherever a Jew may live, this mitzvah applies. However, there is a second opinion that says no, meaning this applies only in Eretz Yisrael, because it's obvious that it has to do with Eretz Yisrael, as we'll see later a little more in detail, that the new harvest, the, I'm sorry, the, the offering from the new harvest came from where? Came exclusively from the wheat, from the, from, the, from the harvest that grew in Eretz Yisrael, and therefore it applies only to Eretz Yisrael. However, what does the Pasuk mean? What is the Torah teaching us with the words, Bechol and all your settlements, says this opinion, and this comes to teach us that they were commanded at Chadash, the mitzvah of Chadash did not take effect. It did not begin to apply only until after the Yerusha Yeshiva, until they actually uh, settled the land and from when they conquered it and divided it amongst all the tribes. Only then did it take effect. Only then did they have to begin to observe this mitzvah. So before we begin to analyze this Rashi, first and foremost, it's important to just understand in the first place why Rashi felt a need to explain these words, quote, in all your settlements. So the answer is because, let's say, for example, in the previous Parsha, in Parsha Sav, where it discusses the prohibition of consuming blood, over there it says, also, this expression that you're not allowed to consume blood in all your settlements. And over there, it's obvious what it means. What does it mean? It means that any person, in any place they may be, because this is a choivas haguf, this is a bodily obligation, this obligation which applies to in the individual. And therefore, it applies in every single place, in every single place that one may be wherever that may be in the world. And there it's obvious, there Rashi has no need, has no reason to explain it. However, here, where we know that Chadash, the prohibition of eating from the new harvest, when does that prohibition end? Once, as the first said, once you offer the Oimer, once you offer that offering on the Mizbeach, then it all becomes allowed. So where does that offering come from? That offering comes exclusively from the harvest of Eretz Yisrael. Therefore, there would be room to think, there would be reason to, to, to figure that which type of Chadash is prohibited, which new harvest is prohibited, only that of Eretz Yisrael, because that's where it comes from, that's what it applies to, that's what it involves. Therefore, it's understood why Rashi has to explain what Bechol Meish mean to tell us, no, that it means, at least according to one opinion, that this applies to everywhere and anywhere in the world, not only exclusively to Eretz Yisrael. Okay, so that's understood. However, there are some questions that arise in Rashi. Number one, why does Rashi bring us a second understanding of the words Bechol Meish the first one seems to do a good job in explaining what B'chomesh V'seicha means. That this, in, in contrast to what it would seem, this is telling us that it applies all over. Why bring the second opinion that it actually applies only to Eretz Yisrael and it only, it, it's coming to teach us that only after they settled it. Another thing is, there's a very interesting rule in Rashi. See, many times Rashi brings more than one 
uh, understanding or more than one opinion on a certain word or a certain meaning. But when Rashi introduces it in the style that he introduces it here, namely that he gives us in the introduction, he prefaces by saying there are two understandings, there are two perushim, there are two explanations. That is because Rashi is telling us, I am going to give you two explanations. I am going to give you more than one understanding of this, but I'm letting you know already in advance that both of them have equal standing. Both of them carry equal weight in the reasoning, in the understanding of the Pshute Shamikra, of the basic meaning of the Pasuk. It's just that practically you can't put one before the other. One has to come first, one has to come second. That's why they're going to come in the order where I'm going to quote one first and then the other one. But I'm telling you in advance that these are both equal. These are both the same. They carry the equal weight. Both of them equally complement Pshute Shamikra. So the question is, we need to understand how over here are these two pirushim, these two explanations of the word the words equally explaining the Pasuk and in the same level and carry the same weight and both are equally right or hold the same equal balance in terms of you know application to this Pshutashamikra. We need to understand it a little deeper how that is the case. And another question is what does Rashi mean with the words Nechlukubai that they argue in this, the debate in this, Chachme Yisrael. Well, obviously, most, if not all, um, interpretations and commentaries come from Chachme Yisrael, from the Jewish sages. What, what is Rashi adding with that? What is Rashi trying to hint to us with that? And the explanation in this is, and we'll take, for example, another mitzvah, the mitzvah of Sirus, Behema, and Chaya of the prohibition of castrating any whatsoever animal. And over there the Torah says, quote, In your land, in your country, you shall not do this. And over there Rashi explains that what is the word and in your land, quote, mean, what is it coming to tell us? That it's coming to tell us that anything that is in your land, any whatsoever type of living thing, you're not allowed to castrate. Now, what is this really? What's behind this? Because it's obvious that this mitzvah does not apply exclusively to Artsachem, to your land. Typically in the Torah, when it says your land, what does it mean? Your land means Eretz Yisrael. But it's obvious that the Torah cannot be telling us that the mitzvah, the prohibition, of castrating an animal applies only in Eretz Yisrael and that it should, maybe, it should be permitted outside of Eretz Yisrael. It's obvious that when the Torah tells us that it's prohibited, which it is, it is something that is in the category of choivas haguf. It falls into the category of a mitzvah which applies to the bodily thing, to the thing itself. And regardless of where that thing is, the mitzvah applies. Now what do you see from here? That although Shomikra, although the simple basic meaning of the word Ba'artzachem would have typically been in your land, quote, meaning in Eretz Yisrael, but in this case, because of the logic, the rule, the obvious logic 
of the fact that it's a chayvas haguf, that it's an obligation that applies to the bodily thing, to applies to the thing, not to the land, therefore it overrides what Ba'artzachem would typically mean, and therefore Rashi has a need to explain that in this case, Ba'artzachem, quote, in your land, doesn't mean in your land in Eretz Yisrael, but it means anything that's on your land, any moving thing, every live, any living thing, one is prohibited to castrate, one is prohibited to do this. This will help us have an understanding here. You see, it's obvious that any time that there is a chayvas hakarka, any mitzvah that applies to the land, specifically to Eretz Yisrael, it's obvious that that is only in Eretz Yisrael. And if so, there is a problem in Pshutei Shavikra. There's a problem in our Pasuk. Because if you only bring the first explanation, which says that over here, B'chomosh V'seicha means all over Eretz Yisrael, the question would be then, this seems to negate the idea, the premise, that Chayvas HaKarka, that's a mitzvah that has exclusive to the land, that it should be exclusive to Eretz Yisrael. So even though you have the words in the Pasuk, but there still seems to be a problem. You see, we brought the Pasuk before about the castration prohibition. And over there we see that the rule, the logic of Chayvas HaGuf overrides the typical Pshut Mikra. Thus over here too, one may think, one may argue, the first understanding, the first opinion, that quote, in all your uh, settlements, means all over the world, anywhere in the world, that the prohibition of Chadash applies, one would think, what? That doesn't make sense. Because this is something that is exclusive to Eretz Yisrael, so it should not apply anywhere else. And the fact that it says, maybe means something else. Maybe it's trying to teach us something else about this mitzvah, and it's just expressing it with the words, and that is what prompted Rashi to bring the second opinion. Remember, we asked, why did he bring the second opinion? We understood why he had to explain in the first place. Because it, as soon as you read it in the Pasuk, it seems to immediately raise the question, what's going on over here? This is a mitzvah that's, that should apply only to Yisrael, and yet it says, But once Rashi brought the first understanding, which says yes, it qualifies the actual question, it says yes, this applies all over the world, Rashi cannot suffice with that because there's still a question that lingers. What do you mean it, it applies to all, all over the world? This is something which is, at least logically, rationally, should have been only an, an exclusive to Eretz Yisrael. And therefore Rashi brings the second Pirush. In the second Pirush, which says, yes, indeed, it applies only to Eretz Yisrael. And B'chomish V'seich, and all your settlements is not telling us in all the places, but only after you settle all over Eretz Yisrael, then you begin to implement this mitzvah. Then there's a question. If that's the case, why not just bring the second one? Why not just bring the second opinion and suffice with that, that B'chomish V'seich, and over here means what? That it means that it, it is only after they settled the land, but it applies only to Eretz Yisrael, which would be consistent with the rule of Choyva Sakarka, that a mitzvah, that is a, 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 a land mitzvah, that is, that is connected to the land, that it is only in Eretz Yisrael. Why not just bring this? The answer is very obvious, because that would defy 
that would negate what Bechol Moishvei typically means in Shemikra. So what do you see over here? How are these two explanations, how are these two interpretations, how are these two opinions balanced, equal? You remember we brought the rule that when Rashi prefaces by introducing and saying, there is going to be, I'm going to bring you two explanations, or there are several understandings of this, that what Rashi is telling us that they're all shuckled, they're all even balanced, they're all equal, they're all the same. How are they both the same? Because they both equally carry the same difficulty. Both of them have an issue, a problem, with the word Moish That Moish over here is different, Moish means in your settlements, is different here than it is all over. According to the first meaning, according to the first opinion, it is different in the rationale of Choyva Sakarka negating what it always would be. Always, typically, if a, a mitzvah is connected to the land, it would be exclusive to Eretz Yisrael. Here it's different. And the difficulty with the Chomash Vesechem and the second meaning is that there is an issue with what Mosh Vesechem typically means. The Chomash Vesechem means all over the world, in all your settlements, literally. And over here, we're not translating it literally. Now we can appreciate and understand better why Rashi tells us that the debate here, the dispute here is amongst Chachme Yisrael, the sages of the Jews, the wise of the Jews, the thinkers. You see, because this is an issue, this is not so much a matter of translation of the literal world, word, rather it's a matter of intellectual understanding of the character and approach of a Yid to the, to the, to the, an attitude to this mitzvah. You see, let's understand. Every carbon, when you bring a carbon, what does it do for the person? It's not just the offering of the animal. We know that the carbon, more than the physical act, is more of a spiritual, emotional, psychological act. When a yid brings a carbon, let's say, for example, a sin offering, a guilt offering, what does that do to that to the person? It gives him a sense. It gives him a feeling of remorse. It gives him a, an attitude of, I wish I did better. I wish I will do better. I hope to do better. When a person brings, let's say, a carbon toida, a thank you offering, an offering of gratitude, what does he feel? He's thanking Hashem for something. He becomes engulfed. He becomes full of a feeling of gratitude for Hashem, for all his greatness, for all his kindness. And the same actually also applies when it comes to the communal offerings. Those communal offerings is not, although it's being brought on behalf of the whole community, collectively, but also the individual has to take a moment at the time that it's being offered. Let's say, for example, on Yom Kippur, when the two goats are being offered, which are, one is being offered in the Beis Hamikdash, one's being thrown off the mountain, they are being offered to do what? To serve as a kapara, as an atonement for the for the people, but each individual needs to take that moment and think about his own personal atonement. Feel a sense of you know tshuva, returning to Hashem, and a sense of kapara, a sense of atonement. So from here we can understand that when we are obligated, when we have to bring that offering of the first of the harvest, and up to that point you're not allowed to eat from it, what does that do for the person? What impression does it leave on the person? What effect is it supposed to have on the person? And the person has a deep sense of everything. The first of everything goes to Hashem. Before I start to consume, before I start to benefit from what seems to be mine, I have to first give to Hashem. However, the question is, since at the end of the day, 
where do we take this first offering for Hashem? Exclusively from Eretz Yisrael, exclusively from the land of Israel, your land. The question becomes, if that's the case, how does a Jew that lives outside of Eretz Yisrael, which today is the case for most of the Jewish population in the world, how do we also emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually experience that sense of gratitude to Hashem, that sense of obligation at the first goes to Hashem. How do we become impressed with that? And this is where Rashi gives us the two different opinions. The first one is that the Jew who lives outside of Eretz Yisrael is forbidden to enjoy, is forbidden to partake from the new harvest until such time that in Eretz Yisrael they have offered from the new harvest. Until such time that it was offered there. So this will do what for the person? This will give the person like a, a sense of recognition that everything comes from Hashem. True, it's not coming from my land, right here, right now where I live, from my harvest correct, collectively, but the idea that I cannot eat, and the idea that I cannot, I cannot partake from it, this is going to remind me this is going to, to, to give me that sense of everything is first for Hashem. And this is notwithstanding the fact that it's not coming from my, from my thing. Because on the contrary, the fact that I don't, I'm not bringing it from my own, from, from, uh, from my harvest, from our harvest, from the country that I live in, this will kind of generate a feeling to feel how low and distant we are. And how great this matter is, this concept, this idea of offering it to Hashem. Whereas the second opinion says, no, you need to first, you need to first have it come from your tvua. You have it come from your harvest in order for you to feel it. And that's why it says exclusively that it has to be from the harvest of the land. And it has to be in a time when you're settled, when you're totally involved, when you're totally entrenched in the spirit of Eretz Yisrael, in what it's all, you know, in its holiness and so on. And the question, and then now we can understand, now, now we did say, now we did say that when Rashi brings two understandings of the same thing and introduce it by prefacing that they're going to be two, that they're both equal. That's true. So we see how they're both equal. Both of them lead to the similar effect, right? Like we just explained. Again, those who live in Chutz Laaretz are going to have it, so to speak, in a negative way by not having it come from their from their harvest. And those who live in Eretz Yisrael are going to have the same effect, but obviously in a much more impactive way because it's coming from their harvest. And that's why both of them equally lead to the same objective, lead to the same results. That a Jew recognizes and, and, and feels that the first goes to Hashem. However, we can understand that since everything by divine providence is not, you know, there's no coincidence, and especially in Rashi, still the fact that Rashi puts this understanding before the other still says something, still gives us an idea of an order, of a proper chronological order of things, a matter how things develop, how things evolve. So the Rebbe suggests that if you look at it a little closer, you'll see that the effect of the first approach, 
namely the one that says we're not offering from our harvest, but yet because we're not allowed to eat from it, therefore it's going to serve as a reminder, and therefore we're going to become a little more introspective and think about it and bring out the effect of, wow, look how distant we are, but what is we distant from? What is this all about? It's about getting close to Hashem. It's about recognizing that the first goes to Hashem. This, at the end of the day, is more an effect on the body or what we call the nefesh abanus, the animalistic soul. Because this is about eating, about not eating. Whereas the second one, the second approach, which says, no, you bring it from Eretz Yisrael. But when? Only after Eretz Yisrael was settled. Only after Eretz Yisrael was fully inhabited. Meaning that a yid is totally settled, both physically, but moreover spiritually, emotionally, psychologically, into the aura of Eretz Yisrael, that's when you begin to offer it. That's when you begin to appreciate fully that the first goes to Hashem. That's more of a spiritual thing. And this is indeed the order of how a Jew approaches a service to Hashem. First, you start with the lower level. First, you start with the bodily things, with the physical implementation of mitzvahs, and then you grow to the more deeper and esoteric uh, connection to Hashem.